With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Growing up in Ohio in a family of farm workers, Monica Ramirez was inspired to dedicate her career to fighting for farm worker women. Then in 2017, as women in entertainment began to take on sexual assault in their industry, Monica shared a declaration of support and solidarity on behalf of women farm workers that would shape both the Time's Up movement and the course of Monica's own life. Monica, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Monica, your work fundamentally centers on justice. What is your early memory of witnessing injustice? My earliest recollection of understanding that something was wrong that needed to be fixed was, you know, when I was 14 years old, the new, the local newspaper had this huge pullout section that was about fishermen welcoming them back into the area. It was really bothersome to me that there wasn't something like that for farm workers because I come from a farm worker community in, in that area. And my parents had spent a lot of time, my father in particular, had spent a lot of time talking to us about the importance of lifting up the community and honoring the work. And so that's one of the most you know visible memories that I have. And it was actually the the thing that I think really propelled me into the activism that I do today. Back in 2003, you launched the first legal project in this country focused on addressing sexual harassment, other forms of gender discrimination against farm worker women. And over the course of about a decade, that work grows into justice for migrant women. What is interesting to me about that, Monica, is that we've all seen the studies about harassment, about sexual violence in the fields, how was it possible that this was a void that wasn't filled? And what was it that allowed you to identify it as a need? Unfortunately, I think many of us 
have experienced gender-based violence or have witnessed gender-based violence. And and in my family, from a very young age, I remember violence, not within my immediate family, but domestic violence was an issue that impacted, you know, some of my other family members. And sexual violence is a, a an issue that I knew about really early in my life. I think the void that you're talking about, it was because issues like gender-based violence, issues like sexual violence, those are not issues that people want to deal with. They don't want to touch them. They want to look past them. And I think for farm worker women, there's a lot of taboo. So women weren't speaking out necessarily, or survivors weren't speaking out because it's such a taboo issue. And the advocates that were aware of it didn't feel like it was a priority issue to address because farm worker women were a minority of the workforce. You know, at that time, farm worker women um, were really thought of as economic, they were not thought of as economic migrants. They were thought of as family migrants. Women traveled with their husbands to support their husbands while they were working. And so there were all these different social dynamics that I think caused people to overlook the topic and to really make a decision to dedicate resources and energy to addressing it. I mean, you were entering an advocacy field that was storied, right? I mean, this is this is a well-established group of people who have been doing this specific type of labor organizing for years. Was there any sense that you were a newcomer or an interloper or pushback to your arrival? One of the biggest things that I experienced when I first started my legal practice was that there was a lot of concern about getting the men in trouble. There was concern about like, well, what if our members are the people who were committing the sexual harassment? We wouldn't want to take, you know, any action against them. And so I remember getting that kind of resistance. And then I also got resistance initially from the church. In, in particular, one church was concerned that if I was going to talk to farm worker women about their rights around sexual harassment, that I was going to talk about abortion and reproductive rights. And so they didn't want to let me come and do outreach or do work on the issue because they were afraid of what I was going to talk about. So I experienced pushback in different ways. And certainly as a new young Latina attorney, you know, there's only still today, there's only 2% of all lawyers in this country are, are Latina. So when I started, you know, over 20 years ago, we were like maybe 1%. And so there was also pushback in the legal field. Monica, I was doing something that I often do when I am preparing for these conversations, which is I reached out to all of our mutual friends to be like, well, what do I need to ask Monica? Or what is the context that I need for a Monica that I'm not going to get in an article? And someone who loves you very much, but is also deep in this work said to me, I mean, you have to understand Monica is one of the callous of times up. It would not have happened without her. So 2017, the effort is gaining momentum in Hollywood. You write what would become a game-changing letter on behalf of women farm workers, and I want you to just read this one part of it. We do not work under bright stage lights or on the big screen. We work in the shadows of society in isolated fields and packing houses that are out of sight and out of mind for most people in this country. Your job feeds souls, fills hearts, and spreads joy. Our job nourishes the nation with the fruits, vegetables, and other crops that we plant, pick, and pack. 
When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. You were counseled by someone close to you, I think, to instead of framing this as a question of solidarity, frame it as a critique of why low-wage workers weren't included from the get. I want you to talk me through your thinking on why solidarity was the way to approach this. It's actually interesting because I wasn't... um no one said talk about low-wage workers. In fact, that was, I think, what the expectation was. And and some people say that our letter, because at the time when I wrote that letter, I was the board president of Alianza Nacional de, Can uh, de, de Campesinas, which is an organization that I co-founded. And some people have said the letter basically was pushed back to the fact that the focus of the sexual harassment cases that were coming out were about women in Hollywood. And that actually wasn't the what the letter was about. It wasn't supposed to be a letter. It was never supposed to be published in a magazine. In my capacity as the board president of Alianza, we were watching what was happening with the women in Hollywood, and we were trying to figure out what our role was and how are we going to, you know, should we speak out and, and what would we say? And we'd already written letters on, in Dignation Action on behalf of other women in other industries that have been sexually harassed. And so at that moment, we made the decision to be part of a march that was happening in Hollywood to support the women. And at that time, it coincided with a call that I got from Time Magazine. They wanted to interview one of my clients to be part of what would become the Silence Breaker story. So they wanted to know if I had B-roll of the, of the 
farm worker women that I was in community with and and we did it. And I said, but we're going to be at this march and we're going to read this statement from the stage. It's a statement of solidarity. Uh, maybe you should go there and you should cover it. And the reporter said, send me what you've written. And so I sent it. That was a Tuesday or Wednesday. It was a Tuesday. And by Thursday, she wrote back and said, don't do anything with that. We're going to publish it. And they published it on Friday. So it was actually written as a statement of solidarity that was meant to be read from the stage. And I think that's really important for people to know that because it wasn't about us saying like, hey, we have it worse or hey, you've forgotten about these other people or you know, pay attention over here. It wasn't that at all. What we understood from our organizing was that at that particular moment in time, these women were starting to experience backlash and retaliation. And we understood that if people didn't start speaking out in, in favor or in solidarity with them, that the likely consequence was that they were going to be shut down and the conversation would have been over and nobody would have been able to felt like they could come forward. It also has the unintended consequence, that letter, of catapulting you as a public figure. And I wonder what the learning curve has been on that. I'm becoming a person who not just, you know, does the work, but is the face of the work. I mean, it's been really difficult, you know, to be very honest with you. You asked earlier about sort of pushback. I actually got a lot of pushback after this happened. And people were upset that I was getting a lot of attention because of the letter, because of the work. You know, people made comments to me or they made comments to other people who I know who who came to me and said, hey, we want you to know that this happened. I remember this one woman came to me and she said, I was in a meeting and it was probably like a week or so after the Golden Globes had happened. And she said, I was in a meeting and there were people talking about the fact that you went to the Golden Globes and they're upset about it because they said it wasn't your turn. And I remember just being like so heartbroken and shocked, right? Because essentially to be questioned in a way that was about like, was I about the work or was I about sort of this new media attention that I was getting? That was really painful for me. Um, and that took a lot of adjusting because we were trying to manage a moment that was so huge. I mean, the speed at which things were moving when Time's Up launched, just all the different conversations and events and media and just so many things were being thrown at us. And at the time, Alianza was not funded. So there was also this reality that we were trying to organize and do this work at the level that we were doing it at with no financial support. People who know me well understand that my life basically changed overnight and not with a lot of control on, on my part. And that meant change for my entire family. You know, at the time my son was four. And so all of a sudden, you know, I was on the road all of the time and there was all, there were all these new demands and we were just trying to figure out how to make it. The story that people were seeing was what was happening and the media interviews, like in the, in the news articles and, and everything looked really packaged and, and polished and pretty. But on the background, there was a lot of just trying to, of honestly managing the chaos and, and figuring out how to take this opportunity to finally bring awareness to an issue that many of us had been organizing around for years and years. And, and how did we do it before the window closed. We were really, I think many of us who were deep in it, in the work, we felt like we were racing against a clock. And that was a lot of pressure. 
some of what, what I was managing on a personal level was just figuring out like, how do you keep your life going while it's completely changed and keep the work moving in a way that actually is going to make a difference? And if I understand correctly, part of your decision in that period of things swirling is to move back home to Ohio. Yeah, I moved back home. I actually, at, at the time when everything kind of blew up with Time's Up and with the letter, I had two other jobs in D.C. that I was doing. And I left those two jobs so that I could manage all the work that was happening. And then I moved home. I moved home, though, not just because I needed additional support. I certainly am so grateful because my parents are there. My family has been so supportive uh, since we've moved back. But we moved back because there was a major immigration raid that happened in June of 2018. And the last day of school near the community where I live, there were 100 children that were left without parents in one day. And then later that week, there was another major immigration raid. And I was trying to organize from D.C., to help on the ground because there wasn't a lot of organizing infrastructure where I'm from. And it just became apparent that it needed to happen on the ground and I needed to be in Ohio. And so we moved, you know, basically in one week, we picked up all of our things and we moved back home and got to work there. I think this is true of a lot of people who do grassroots organizing or organizing in general, which is you are required to toggle between the people you serve and elites. And so we are talking about code switching at like level 10 (laughs) code switching. (laughs) Yes. And like, sure, yes, most of our Latina to Latina listeners have been doing that their entire lives, but you are doing it at like a (laughs) PhD level. And I wonder (laughs) how do you both show up in your community in a way that is authentic and then show up on a red carpet or in an organizing meeting where, you know, most of those people live in million dollar mansions. Yeah. You know what? The way that I show up is like every person is a person, no matter where they live or how much money they have. And I think that actually one of the things that has helped me create some really important and strong relationships with some of the folks you're mentioning, like the very well-known people is I just treat everyone the same you know and and because i need to always be grounded in my community and so that is where i live and that is where i always try to stay and no matter who i'm meeting with or speaking to that is my my framework but yeah you know of course when i'm on the red carpet or when i'm doing a high level media interview when i got to speak at the un like there there are changes that you have to make there's like a certain way you have to approach those things and and i just my goal is to just always show up authentically, and I hope that that translates. It does. It's just an extraordinarily hard thing to do. Like someone was joking, like, "Yeah, no, Monica, I'll go to Davos, but she'll like take the bus to get there." Like, <laughs> 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 we have a very good friend, and we were leaving from the same place. We were heading to the same place, and because whenever I travel, I try to, you know, I, I'm trying to guard all of our, our limited resources. So I like travel on the like the, the the last seat of the bus, right? Like the like the cheapest ticket available, what have you. And so our good friend was was she was like morning cop. <laughs> she was giving me advice about this because I think I arrived something like 10 hours later because I went on a you know a plane that had like three stops or something. <laughs> She was like, okay, let me have a talk with you about that. <laughs> well, because because I but I I want our our listeners to understand this because I think it is 
attention that shows up a lot, especially if you didn't have money growing up, which is that even, you know, we talk a lot about sort of how you guard your personal finances. But if you are the steward of an organization's finances, a lot of those same issues show up. That's right. And you know what? That's actually been one of the most important learnings of the last couple of years is I have to figure out like, how do I maximize on all sides? But in that efficiency, I also have to take care of myself. Like, okay, what is the cost of this? I'm still working on it, but those are the kinds of calculations that we need to make, not necessarily like what is the cheapest way that I can do this, but what is the real cost of this and how do we do it in a way that's sustainable? To me, it feels like the work you had done up until time's up and then time's up. And then the work that you are now doing, sort of the the work at Latinx House, which I want you to talk about, to me, it feels like a pivot. And I wonder if it feels like a pivot to you or just a very natural extension of the work you've always done. I feel like I learned a new tool and I'm now using that new tool for my work, right? The change with Time's Up is it brought my work more to the, to the mainstream. You know, I'm still doing rights-based work. I'm still building power. I'm still um, trying to advance policy change, all those things. But the difference is now the tool that I have that I didn't have before is narrative. So the Latinx House, for folks who don't know what it is, it's an organization that was created to celebrate the excellence of the Latinx community and focus on the representation of the Latinx community. A lot of our work is about narrative. You know, I believe in this country, there's a narrative about the Latinx community that says that we are takers, that we take jobs, we take resources, we take opportunities. And the truth is we are givers. We give opportunities, we create jobs. The reality is our community faces some of the biggest gaps. We have the biggest wealth gap. Latinas have the widest pay gap. The fact that things like the El Paso massacre have taken place. When you think of the different ways in which the community experiences discrimination and stereotyping, it's not by accident. And the narrative about who we are as a community is directly related to the way that we are treated and seen in society. So the Latinx House, it's about changing the narrative. It's about building social capital. And it's about addressing some of these big societal issues that our community is confronting. And we believe that's not good only for Latinx people, but it's good for our country. Monica, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Helena Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and mix this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. It's 
a little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.